Hello and welcome to episode 46 of the Telling the Story podcast, a look at how journalists and all of us reach the world. I am Matt Pearl, author of the Telling the Story blog and a reporter at NBC in Atlanta. couple of things. First of all, you can subscribe to this podcast now on Stitcher Smart Radio. If you don't use Stitcher, it's probably the best podcast app that is out there. It keeps a playlist of your favorite shows. It automatically updates with new episodes. So download the Stitcher app and then subscribe to this podcast, the Telling the Story podcast. And secondly... I've announced this on the blog already, but I am very, very excited to announce on the podcast that I have written a book, a book that I hope will make a major impact for young journalists and storytellers. The book is called The Solo Video Journalist, and it is a how-to guide for TV multimedia journalists, or MMJs. It is specifically aimed at those in college or just starting out. We go step-by-step through the creation of a story, the entire process, I tackle the many challenges that arise when you have to do it all by yourself. Beyond that, in each chapter, I interview a different one-man or one-woman band and get his or her advice on that specific step. We're talking big names in local news like John Shirick, Heidi Wigdahl, Greg Bledsoe, Ann Herbst, Mitch Pittman, Ted Land, Forrest Sanders, Mike McCarthy, and my guest for this episode. He is one of my favorite solo acts in local news. He's perhaps one of the only YouTube sensations in local news. He has become very popular in journalism circles for his annual YouTube montage of creative do-it-yourself stand-ups. He's the guy I interviewed for the chapter on shooting your own stand-up. He's an award-winning solo video journalist at KGTV in San Diego. Joe Little, welcome to the Telling the Story podcast. It's an absolute honor to be here, Matt. It's it's to be included in your book and then to be here at this podcast is fantastic. I'm a little, a, a little disappointed I'm on episode 50. If I'd known <laughs> that was 46, I would have held off for number 50. That's my lucky number. Are there uh, any great. Um, great athletes that have the number 46 off the top? My, I'm thinking maybe Andy Pettit is the only one I can think of right off the bat. But The fact that you knew Andy, Andy Pettit was 46 is quite impressive. But I was number 50 at George Mason. That's all, that's all that matters. Oh, wow. All <laughs> right. Now, we'll have you back for 50 then. Uh, first I of all <laughs> – First of all, Joe, outside of myself, you're probably more familiar with the book than anyone. Uh, my publisher actually sent you an advanced copy. You sent me a photo of yourself reading it by the pool, which that's now seared in my memory. So thanks for that. Uh, with a margarita. <laughs> <laughs> but you were also kind enough, uh, and, and really it's an honor to have had you do this. You wrote the back cover endorsement quote. Uh, and it's it's wonderful. I'm so thankful that you did it. You've heard my description of the book. For those listening, how would you describe it, especially to the young MMJs out there? Uh, for first off, for young or old or anyone who lifts a camera and tells a story by themselves, it is literally peeling back every single layer, step by step, of a day in the life of a solo VJ it's or MMJ or whatever we call them these days. And the best thing about it for me, it was that it wasn't just me reviewing a book. I was studying. I learned things from this book that either I had forgotten or I didn't know. And the, and, and the, the writing section in particular, I took to heart. So it, it is a fantastic guide to getting started. It is a fantastic refresher it's just a fantastic read for anyone who does what we do, whether you're a rookie, a seasoned vet, or someone just looking for God, another push. And I think when I read it, actually, I can be honest, honestly say I need another push. I need another step in my game, and I got it by reading the advanced copy. Well, that's flattering to hear because you are, are someone who I would never uh, think of as someone who – needs the extra juice because you're always coming up with creative ways to tell stories and, and shoot your own standups. In fact, it's funny. And, and I, uh, before we started recording this, I was writing the blog entry that goes with this podcast. And I wrote about how Joe little has all of these videos of, uh, YouTube videos of doing his own standups. And then I went online to go get a video to embed in the post. And I started watching one and I completely lost track of time. I was just, I was sucked in <laughs> for the eight or nine minutes that that video is going because it's just, and this was the one you did last year where there were just so many creative and, uh, and, and not in a forced way. They were germane to the story. They captured my attention as a viewer. They're just wonderful. So 
that's part of the reason that uh, that I you know wanted to speak with you both for this podcast and in the book because I think you're someone who's always pushing himself. You were uh, you were one of the few people I got to interview in person. Which was a lot of fun. A lot of the people in the book, uh, you know, due to travel and time constraints, we uh, we talked over the phone. But you, I saw you last December. I was in Los Angeles for a separate trip. Popped down to San Diego to uh, spend some time with you and Greg Bledsoe, another great uh, solo journalist. And it was what such a pleasure guys? to see you. Yeah, and and you guys worked together, I think, uh, a long time ago. Yeah, for we worked together for about four years. Two years at NBC and two years at a little cable station, but uh, yeah, he's a he's a great human being. And the, the 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 one day you came down, the one day you came down, the weather sucked, and I had a photog. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> right. What is going on? It rained in San Diego, and Joe Little got a photog. I mean, what? I don't know. What? I don't know. It, it was it was not meant to be, <laughs> and yet it was still very productive because. I got to watch you in action. And it's something that I think even those of us who have been doing this for a while, we never really get to go and, and watch other people who we respect do their jobs. Uh, and and It would be fantastic to do that. Yeah. It would be fantastic to go ride shotgun with all these guys we see on Storytellers. I would just love to sit there with uh, Kevin Sullivan and just ride around with him and watch him shoot for the day. I would just – yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really fun. I I loved it. I and even though you had a photographer, you were again just so creative in the the chances you were taking and uh and I and I think, you know, one of the reasons I really enjoyed following you around and and I think it shows in your work is that you really do have the process down in terms of knowing yourself. Such an part such an important part of of doing the solo thing is, you know, it's knowing yourself. It's knowing what it takes mm-hmm. for you to get your story done on a given day. And you've got that from, I think, from doing it a, as long as you have, but also, I think, pushing yourself as much as you do. And I would think it enables you to take a lot of the creative risks that you take because you have a sense of your strengths. You know that if I spend 30 minutes on this stand-up and it doesn't quite work out, I can always fall back and, and put together a more traditional piece. Is that... Did I is that accurate or did I just catch you on a really good day? No, no, it's it's really hit and miss, man. It's the story, and I I'll tell you the the, the stand the story dictates the stand up, and and people think I do one of these crazy weird stand ups every freaking day. I don't. I I do fewer stand ups now. Oddly enough, the more I focus on my storytelling, the less the fewer times you see Joe little, but I always look for an opportunity to use one of the, one of the standups to help further progress the story. So it, it really just these days, I would say five years ago, that might've been the case where the standup was, where I was really focused on the standup. But now that I've sort of evolved more and more into a better storyteller, the more I get to know Matt Pearl um, <laughs> and rip off all of his work. <laughs> I, I, Feel free. I, I really look for more targeted, better opportunities to even do greater standups. Yeah. So it, it's it just it, and like yeah, like you said, the, it, sometimes sometimes they've been left on editing room floors, and those are depressing days. I'm like, oh, that one sucked. Yeah. Um, but these times, the, when I do do a standup, I, I I do have a plan, and it usually these days, especially when I am a little bit more selective, it works out well. I've uh, I've said a lot that when it comes to shooting standups and particularly the the creative multi-layered ones that that you have kind of made your calling card i always feel like i I never really use them to make a great story greater but i will use them to make a visually boring story more interesting uh to make a i don't want to say a bad story good because there's no bad stories necessarily but a story that might not be visually compelling to make that more interesting and that's that seems to be a very uh, typical thread for you. Yeah. Demonstrative. Anything that, I mean, you cannot, Oh man, like the cold scene or the widget that no one knows what the widget is or the, the crime that you, that have no proof of actually happening. If there's an opportunity to use your personality and your gestures, a prop to be, to demonstrate something that is always like the, the ultimate key for a, a standup. And I've, I think 
the strongest stand-ups that I've done are the ones that are the worst stories visually to tell, where you have to dig deep into your pocket of tricks and say, how do I polish this turd? Let's put <laughs> Joe Little out there 10 times. I, uh, I remember in the 2015 video, I was watching it earlier this evening, and I think my favorite one that you did, and again, it wasn't because it was so tricky. In fact, it really wasn't. But it was actually a tease that you did. Again, just, a, you know, so many reporters, they think the tease is just a throwaway thing. you got to get it done. But it was a story about uh, a new parking lot that was adjusting it so that instead of pulling in head first, oh, yeah. you, pulled, yes. you had to kind of pull in in reverse. And you just wrote it out on a paper. You wrote how it would look from above. And you had miniature cars, miniature toy cars that you would pull in and out of the spots. And it was just so effective. I can't even imagine that took you any extra time because it's just so simple. The only thing it took time was I had to swing by my house and get my kids matchbox cars. That's it's right. The only thing it took time. The, the, the loop around, because I'm not going to go buy new cars. We're reporters. We're not making a fortune. <laughs> <laughs> so I had I to buy it. some cars. I had to go get my cars. But yeah, it was simplicity. It was just having a, a thought. How do I describe this? Because I was in the story, shooting the story, and the cars weren't coming and going nearly as fast as I wanted to. Okay. Sorry, my seven-year-old just talked to me. Oh, it's um, okay. Yeah, so the um, – what was my train of thought? Oh, yeah, so the video, just the video was poor. It was just cars parked there, and, and I had no drone. I had no helicopter help. How do you really visualize from – at most six or seven feet in the air, something that's so parking lot that, that you need a parking lot aerial view of, well, just shrink everything down. And, and I'm not going to go use graphics. I can't stand graphics. I can't stand using those guys going in there and say, hey, guys, can you make me a map or recreate a parking lot and, and have them look at me like we have more important things to do than babysit you, Joe. So a Sharpie and some Matchbox cars. <laughs> I love it. You know, it's uh... – one of the really cool things that, that I found out that I did not know about you before that interview we did for the book was your kind of your journey to becoming this person who tries these creative stand-ups. And, and it was really interesting to hear kind of your evolution as both an MMJ and also, again, with these stand-ups really developing your identity. You don't have to tell the, the whole story here, but maybe the shortened version of just how you kind of from point A to point B got where you are today. I think, well, when I first started at 10 New, well, I, I think I, early on in my career, I was not afraid to use my personality. And the personality was the key. So many reporters were, were, are so freaking uptight and they're, they're so unreal almost that I, I consciously made an effort to say, well, I can, it's okay to be myself, but I still sucked at the shooting and everything. And then as I went along and got older in my career, um, I found that I could do some more creative shots and relay a message better and still have that personality in there. So when the, when the technology and the personality started meeting up together, it was about 10 years ago and it, at 10 News in San Diego. And just finding this key little ingredient, I noticed that people responded so much better when I was – in a normal environment, acting like the real Joe Little, as opposed to the polished, stuck, stick in the mud reporter, they they responded really, really well to the creativity, the shots. The, I mean, we take our camera to places that our eyes don't go. Well, I, I mean, I took the camera to the same thing. I applied the same ideas to myself. No more medium shots. Put the camera on the table um, and and lean into it, or or just. Different angles. And then the, the multiplying myself. I mean, people accuse me of like, oh, you're trying to trick the viewers. You're trying to, you're tricking them. Like, do people really think there are three of me in the world? Because I'm pretty sure <laughs> that's hell on earth for most societies. <laughs> um, they don't need one Joe's enough. But it just, I, I found this thing that people responded to, and I, 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 the first compilation, which I don't even remember what year it was. I don't. I, 2010, nine. I don't know what year was the first year. And I, I sent it out to my old boss, who was the first one who took the handcuffs off me. He said, "Joe, go do a go, go, go have fun with this story." He took my handcuffs off, and he said, "Just go." And I, I remembered that conversation 
from him specifically. That's a WHAG in, in Hagerstown, Maryland. His name is Mark Cram. He's still the news director there. Nice. And and he, uh, I sent him the, the link, and he shared it with his assistant news director. And then all the next day, I started getting these emails and phone calls from news directors saying, how'd you find, how'd you get this lightning in the bottle? How can you teach my guys to do this? Because my guys are boring. They're not, there's no personality. There's no life. They're just, they're so uptight. And it's like they toss, it's like almost like it's tossing one anchor to another anchor in the field, then the story. Um, there's just too many talking heads on television. So the visual product, and then from there, I just sort of adding more layers and taking more chances and and then i would see other reporters just like we all do we all see something like i like that i like what that guy did i'm gonna rip that off and start doing more uh sequenced stand-ups with crazy stuff going on and but i always want to make sure whenever i talk about this stuff i always i always add that it had to do with the story it wasn't about me it was always about making the story better or progressing the story forward and i've heard it said and, and i've said myself that Investing time in a stand-up is totally worth it if that stand-up is germane to the story and the most memorable mm -hmm. part of your story. Because a lot of times, especially as an MMJ, that is cutting into time that you would otherwise spend logging or writing or editing. And we all know how precious those minutes can be. <laughs> um, you know, as I said kind of earlier, you've reached a point where you probably know yourself better uh, than you did when you really started doing these stand-ups and, and you know how to structure your day. I would imagine in the early going as you were trying these experimental stand-ups, it was probably tough to find the time to fit them in and, and really flesh them out. How, how did you go about doing that? What was your strategy for making sure this was a part of your workflow? The biggest, the biggest thing that I, I teach, my, I, that I taught myself and I teach other people is we start off our days with, okay, who am I going to interview? Who, what are we going to shoot? Where, where, what's my drive time? And will I have time to eat? Probably not. Um, but a lot of times, traditional and MMJ crews, we wait until we're done before we start thinking about our live shot or our stand-up. We wait until we're done shooting. And, I'm, I, and I don't know why it took me so long to vocalize it and figure it out. But you have to start thinking about the on-camera work at the same time you're thinking about the interviews, your research. As you're setting up your story, thinking about the opportunities to do a stand-up bridge. What about a live shot? You cannot wait until you're done to, to talk to a producer and say, so what should we do for a live shot? When I started getting my story assignments or pitching my stories, you know, besides thinking about the character – the visuals and the research and whatever I need to figure out, maybe file footage. I would also immediately in the morning, first thing also think about what will I do on camera? And you know, the whole process of driving to the story, either if we're on the phone talking to someone or we're taking notes in our head saying, okay, I'm going to make sure I do an active interview for this. Okay. But if I get a chance to do a stand up here, I know I can do this. But then you start thinking, okay, is there a story transition? Is there a point counterpoint? Start weighing what's in your head. This is all in the drive to your first interview. I'm thinking about, and by being that prepared for the story, for the stand-up, it made the shooting go much so much easier because I'm old. Oh, <laughs> I know. No. I I'm not. I'm not old, but I'm older now. I can. I can. I know when I shoot things, I know what I'm going to get. It's like, it's very natural and easy for me to think about the interview. It's, 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 we do it every day. And I had to make it part of my DNA to think about the standups too, the live shots too. And I, I found out that when I started preparing for them earlier, I could live in the moment for a lot of standups where you don't get the opportunity to go back later that night for the live shot, or you're inside something, or you have an opportunity to grab something or do something with something in the background living in the moment because you plan for it, set the sticks up, hit the camera on and talk. Um, by being prepared has been one of the biggest keys for doing these creative standups. Sometimes, yes, I'm like on the scene, like, okay, I, ooh, I've got an opportunity here to put like 10 Joes in this shot. Let's get nuts, people. Let's just do this for the people at home. <laughs> um, but the planning, just being prepared has been the biggest key.
there's all the other things that I have to worry about when I get there, but just being prepared and thinking about it as opposed to waiting till the end of the day, which is what a majority of crews, traditional and MMJ do. They wait until they're done. Like, what do you want to do for a live shot? And by that time, you've maybe lost an opportunity to do something great. Very true. This is the Telling the Story podcast. I'm Matt Pearl. He is Joe Little, MMJ at KGTV out in San Diego. One of the many MMJs I interviewed for my new book, The Solo Video Journalist, a how-to guide for the MMJ process. Uh, As Joe said, good for anybody, but specifically aimed at the younger journalists and storytellers getting going in their careers and and, uh, plenty of advice. A lot of it, some of it you just heard from Joe, but plenty more from Joe Little and so many others in the book. Joe, let's uh, let's talk about MMJs and stand-up specifically because I think part of... And, and you've said this to me before, and, and I think from what I've seen, part of, I think, ma- what made you such a sensation early on in the news business is, A, that you were doing creative stand-ups, but B, the idea that one person on his own could be that creative and do that much and, you know, wring that much juice out of the orange, so to speak. Um, what do you think is the biggest misconception about MMJs and their ability to shoot creative stand-ups. It's just the word can't. There are people who, a lot of times, MMJs are, are, I would almost say they're forced MMJs. They didn't get into the business to be MMJs, but they want to be a reporter, and so this is what they have to do to start off. And so immediately there's a negative connotation that I can't, because I can't run the camera, or I can't, do this and that and get a good demonstrative shot or I can't frame myself up nicely. And I just never had that word can't in my head. I don't know why. I don't know why I love being an MMJ. No, I know why I love being an MMJ more than anything else. But um, people, the technical skills, if you don't have the technical skills, if you don't know your camera, then there's this automatic fear that you can't set it up and walk away from it, which is safe and fine. I, I agree. But once you, you realize that, yes, I can set this camera up and I and that beautiful flip screen, that glorious flip screen, you could flip over and see from the front of the camera changed our lives. Yes. It, it, it is so easy now to do something. And there's so many little tricks that, you know, I learned from Michelle Michael and I, I and, and the simple thing from dropping your keys on the ground to focus on the keys, to make sure the focal plane is right. But but I, I think the simplest thing is just to understand your gear. If you understand your gear, you can you could really, really do these things on your own and do them fantastically well. It's just I think it's more mental than anything. You get over the mental thing of saying, let me just try this. And then you really learn your gear. You learn your camera. You have the auto. You, you ter- turn automatic everything off and put manual focus, so the camera's not guessing where you are. And I, I think it's more psychological than anything. And I just I got over it real quick. Yeah, real quick. You know what's interesting too, and you mentioned the Michelle Michael tip about throwing the keys on the ground. One of the reasons that that I know I wanted to write the book, and and one of the reasons that I'm always kind of active in the in the storytellers forums and speaking at conferences is because. I, I can remember when I was coming up, and I'm sure you felt this way too, where, especially as an MMJ, there was just so much that I had to figure out on my own. Stuff that is, frankly, so easy once you know the little tricks. Once you know to throw your keys on the ground, that is, okay, that, that opens the door to doing X, Y, and Z when you're shooting your own stand-ups. And so, you know, like, and that, that is what I tried to put in the book for every step. But for stand-ups especially, I I think it makes such a difference because once you have the freedom to do that, then that just opens the door to – it's the step A that leads to the B and C of shooting a demonstrative stand-up, shooting a multi-shot stand-up, doing all these things that MMJs, you know, quote, can't do. Yeah. And the one thing I got to make sure I give Michelle full credit for, I mean, it's so simple. I have a light stand, right? A lot of people don't have light stands, but I have this light, a telescoping light stand. I set it up to six foot four and put it where I'm going to stand. You're six foot frame four? It up. I am six foot four, my brother. My I'm goodness. A big old M- yeah, I eat a lot. <laughs> it is already intimidating but, enough doing this interview with you because you're looking down at your camera and you're in front of a stack of Emmys behind you. 
Emmys and Mike flags are what I'm looking at right now. I'm prouder of the Mike flags that I've liberated from the planet. (laughs) (laughs) I have like 40 or 50 back in here. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Anyway, I interrupted you. Sorry, but you were saying about having the light stand up. Yeah, Michelle Michael, she 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 taught me that. I actually the first year I was at the NPPA news video workshop, she played a video of her using a light stand. And I was like, oh my God, why didn't I think of that? It's so simple. Some of the some of the answers, they're just don't think they're just so simple. You're not they're not difficult to find. You just didn't think about them. And these simple little keys, or you know, if you don't have a light stand, uh I, I would go and, and mark like, okay, I'm standing right next to the edge of this table here. So focus on the edge of the table. At least I'll be in that same focal plane. And if I have to jerry-rig the camera back and forth a little bit, that's fine. But just the, the, the answers there, once you find them, it's like, ah, oh, bing, everything works out nicely. And, and she was one of the people who just gave me that idea and, and made my stand-ups go by even faster now. Yeah. One thing, uh, one thing I've really gotten into with, with doing my own stand-ups is the chroma key. Uh, I, I we were talking earlier. I told you I did a lot of political stories this season based on poll results and data, and I found the best way to show all of those chunky numbers and bar graphs and all this stuff was to create my own graphics and then appear in them and kind of walk the viewer through the numbers. It's you know you talk about things that are liberating for us as MMJs and nonlinear editors and the potential that they provide and what they enable you to do. For me, that's been a big thing. Uh, when I see you, it's you're much more of a of a camera purist. Where you've done you've done plenty of nonlinear editing stuff. Don't get me wrong, but there's also a lot more of a multiple shots from different angles. You'll see a seven or eight part stand up, and it's always very impressive. When you're out in the field, you mentioned having to do all that preparation in advance. Do you find that when you're out in the field, you can kind of size up a situation and make it happen the way you want, or does it really take that kind of preparation beforehand in the car thinking about it as much as you can i think about as much as i can still obviously but when i get in the when i get in the field and you get there of course your your preconceptions of what's going on change i i'm like okay that was that was way off on that one um and then i'll adapt on the fly but it's just like shooting for those multiple 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 shot stand-ups it's just shooting a sequence that you would shoot of any other person just shooting yourself it's it's not that difficult um, there are things that I tell people that when you get out in the field, it's especially for a live shot or breaking news things is there's a couple of things that people need to do. And the first one is like literally turn and look around what's behind you, you know, for, for those breaking news live shots where you're showing up and, and you're, you're like, just get on the air, just get on the air. Right. Well, what do you do? Just turn around and, and look behind you because that's the simplest thing to do is because no one, especially me, no one's going to look at the TV and see Joe and say, well, I'm going to walk on this guy. This guy's so good looking. No, they're going to start looking around you. We're on Skype right now. I know people at home can't see it, but we're on Skype and you're looking behind me because I'm boring after a while. I'm looking at your your pillow on your couch over there where you fell asleep. That's true. <laughs> but on, on No, no, I, wait, hang on. I did not fall asleep during this podcast, by the way. I want to make sure that's clear to anybody. <laughs> it's just where I fall asleep in life. <laughs> Oh, that's his nap couch. Uh, <laughs> no, the, uh, the 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 just the simple thing of looking behind you because that's what the viewer's looking at, and use it to your advantage. Describe the scene. I was sent to the Napa earthquakes, and uh, was it three years ago, three or four years ago? And and I had to do. I was up there by myself doing live shots and packages. No idea where I was, who the people were, but I knew when I just turned the camera on and looked behind me. If I describe what's behind me, that's a demonstrative active stand-up that's moving the story forward and that's like the simplest thing is to just use your environment and then if you could if you're doing something pre-produced do the same thing use your environment point to the house walk across the floor or whatever it is that you need to do you focus in on it it's simple using your environment is look around you see what's going on and most of the time it works out very cool This is the Telling the Story podcast. I'm Matt Pearl. My guest is Joe Little, the San Diego superstar and solo video journalist over at KGTV. He's among, he's laughing. Are you laughing because of San Diego superstar? Yeah, I almost spit all over my computer. Like, really? (laughs) We're like the most, we're like, seriously, we, 
it's cool to do what we do and be recognized for what we do. But when people get to know us, we're really, well, at least for me, I'm really just a meatball guy. I just like, I'm just, I love what I do. Oh yeah. 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 That, I, I think that's, that's one of the fun parts of being in the community that we're into is that for the most part, especially the storytelling community, it's something in local news, sadly, that doesn't automatically get rewarded. So for people no. who really want to tell good stories, you almost have to seek it out, and then you find people like you and uh, and like so many that we've met in this in this business. So it's great. Oh. And uh, Joe Little, among the many one-man, one-woman bands featured in the new book, The Solo Video Journalist, available now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other booksellers. Joe, uh, I like to use this last section to talk about advice for younger journalists. Uh, the whole book is aimed at that. The whole podcast, every episode, there's always that section. You have long been someone, one of the many things I admire about you, you've long been someone who devotes time to training others. You're a big hit every year at the NPPA News Video Workshop. Uh, you do plenty of uh, training sessions at stations or, and, and conferences around the country. Before we get into your advice for those specifically coming up, I, I thought it would be good to kind of get, just get your thoughts on the importance of more experienced journalists making it a priority to just offer that advice in the first place. Talking about just making, having people pay it forward. Yeah. Yeah. And being someone, I mean, you're in your thirties now, I believe. And I just turned to big four. Oh, my friend. All right. Well, that's fine too. So you're still, you're, you're in your late thirties plus one. And, but being someone, I mean, you've, you've been in this position for a few years now where again, you've been asked to participate in these workshops. That's a week out of your life every year that you, choose to uh you know essentially donate and doing mm -hmm. things like that being as active of a voice as you are both at your station and in the storytelling community I, I think that's something that that many of us as we get into our 30s and, and 40s start to think about a lot more I had Matt Marzinski on the most recent podcast and he talked a lot about that having basically gotten this 10,000 member storytellers uh Facebook group from zero to 10,000 so you know, for those who obviously, will, like I said, we'll get to the advice for the younger journalists in a second. But first, I thought it'd be interesting to just hear you talk about your mentality as as someone who now has some experience and credibility and legitimacy and is in a position to be able to pass that on and why that's so important for you. Uh, the, 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 the biggest thing with me was I do it because I had nobody. Um, I was, a, I was not the smartest young journalist. I will tell you that right now. It took me, I'm a late bloomer. My family's all doctors and nurses. They had no idea what I was talking about when I said I wanted to be a television news reporter. They thought I was an idiot. Um, and I went to an undergraduate school, George Mason university. They didn't have a good strong J school. I had no one to guide me. No one told me. And I sort of figured things out as I went along. My first mentor was hub Brown at Syracuse university. And then I just sort of found my own way, but I struggled so mightily. And when I finally hit it to a point where I get it and I realize, God, I, I, I probably lost five to eight years of my career trying to figure it out for myself. Cause I didn't either, I was too stupid to seek the help or I didn't work for anyone who really wanted to help me. I just, I just wasn't a smart young journalist. I told myself once I figured it out for myself that I would never, ever turn anyone away. Anyone who's ever emailed me, I've written them brutal critiques. I've tried guiding them down the right path. I've tried making sure, you know, talking up the NPPA, which I think is one of the most valuable organizations in the world. Absolutely. Uh, going, to work, going to workshops like the one in Atlanta, um, yours in Atlanta, the one in Seattle that Matt Brzezinski helped um, host, the, the workshop in Oklahoma, anything. But then also the mentorship, finding someone that you respected that you like their work, you know, going to them and saying, Hey, can you help me? I, I think that was just the most valuable lesson that I realized that I missed and I would never, ever do it. Never let anyone else go through this path. Like I did, this is the wrong way to do it. And then one of the best things I learned when I started mentoring people is that I became a stronger reporter and I became a stronger journalist and because I was checking myself. Every time I saw someone doing something, I'm like, well, you know what? I did that yesterday. And I'm here I am capping on them. And like, damn, I did the same thing. So I, it made me a better journalist as I'm teaching other people. It's just this 
And then you just, it's just the reward. I'm working now with, let me count, one, two, three, four, four of my former interns are now my coworkers oh, in San wow. Diego. And that's like, that's like the most rewarding thing that either says that, damn Joe, you're old, or two, that you, you help them on this path to get there for you. I mean, one's my, I guess she produces a show that I sometimes anchor, and that's just freaky. To have her in my ear giving me orders, I'm like, you know what? <laughs> I guess I got to do it. <laughs> um, but the ultimate reward is just that it's so Pollyanna and Tiny Tim, the whole giving back and mentoring people who are going to eventually be your coworkers and replace you in this pl- in this business is just it, it makes you a better reporter, a better MMJ, and just a better person. And then people, I've I've already seen it, but with my past five years at the workshop, seeing people who now have. Uh, one, people who've been at my workshop are now my coworkers slash photographers at my station, and they are now mentoring people in smaller markets. And just seeing that is like, it's profound when you think about how much of an impact you can have on one person, and they go and share it with two people, and then they share it with four people. It's, I mean, this impact that your book's going to have, dude. You I mean you're going to educate hundreds, thousands of people that are going to learn from the words that you've written, the words that you've written from that we said. I'm hopefully you edited my words a lot. Um, <laughs> Not that much, um, actually. <laughs> I noticed. I was like, oh, did I say that? Wow. <laughs> but no, the, the the mentoring, the mentoring, and the educating, the teaching people continuously is one of the is one of the, the better parts of my career now. I love going to colleges. I'm going to Chapman next month to teach to talk to their students, and I had a, a all day workshop with high schoolers and middle schoolers. Two weekends ago, it's just that. like yeah, that's great. This is the best. It's the best. Uh, beautifully put, and and just again, such great advice. I think for anybody who's getting to that point in their career that they can start to give back, and and I almost think I almost think that it's never really too early to start doing that uh, as well, because there's always a college, there's always a high school, like you said, that can mm-hmm. use some guidance or advice. Um, let's talk about the younger journalists, especially the MMJs, because I think you know we've both seen that it can be difficult for MMJs to kind of get their footing both in the business and in terms of respect uh, among traditional crews. Um, I get a sense, especially as I speak with folks now, that so many MMJs, especially the younger ones, feel very overwhelmed. You know, it's, it's and I get that because it's their first or second job. You're in your early 20s. You're trying to figure out life and you're also trying to figure out how to do every uh, every responsibility that comes with being a solo act. What were some of the things that you did early in your career to just, before you even got good or, or you know, got creative, just to make your life easier? That it all comes down to time management. It's so cliche and it, everyone hates to hear it. But when I look at my day and I, I back time it like a producer, I back time my day from what time is my story air? Okay, I need an hour to edit. I don't, but I give myself an hour to edit. Then I give myself an hour to write. Then I realize if you get me, if I even take 30 minutes to drive on, on back ends, I still have three and a half hours to shoot a story. When I realized, when I looked at my day like that, when I was able to time, manage my time and see, okay, hour for this, hour for this, I had this huge, epic chunk of time in my day that granted some days I use every single second of and dip into the other categories but when I managed when I sat down and literally managed my time and mapped out my daily structure it was this eye-opening and it it did remove a lot of the stress and I did that I would say legitimately sat down the first week I started at 10 news because my first time I was working as a full-time MMJ, like every day, this is my life. Uh, the first week was a dumpster fire. I was like, <laughs> what the hell is going on here? I am screwing myself. So I mapped it out and literally like, okay, I, this is not that bad. Now, if I just get on my horse and go, there are days where I have four and a half hours to shoot. <laughs> if it takes you four and a half hours to shoot a minute and a half package or even <laughs> two minute and a half packages, you're doing something colossally wrong. And with that knowledge, when you just manage your time and you map out your day, just your, not the story for that day, but just your normal day, 
that will relieve a lot of stress when you see those windows. And then you can set yourself mini deadlines. Okay, I'm here, I'm here. Oh, I'm, I'm 30 minutes ahead of my next deadline. That means I've got 30 more minutes on the back end to relieve that stress. And then it's a little alarm. So if you hit that deadline, you're like, okay, <laughs> need to get on my horse and drum it up a little faster. That was the, the biggest key. The next step was really, really dorking out with my gear. Mm. I mean, straight up nerd. I took my camera. Every time I get a new camera, you've had, I'm sure you've had plenty of cameras you've been graduated through at, at your station yep. or through your career. Every time I get a new camera, I dork out and I take it home and I just play with it. I, I'm shooting things in my kitchen. I'm, I'm playing with the white balance. I'm, it's not on company time. You've got to do it on your own time, but you take ownership of it because it's going to pay off when you know your gear. I know I can set my tripod up in the dark. I know that I can white balance without looking at my buttons. When you dork out like that, <laughs> it makes that time management window even bigger because during the day, you're not trying to figure out what you did wrong on your camera, how to do something because you already dorked out over the weekend, you know, it's part of my term, but dorked out. But I think it's a legitimately good term because a lot of us are nerds about this business and, you know, but it, it works. Manage your time and then dork out with your gear. Because a lot of these younger MMJs, they're, they're really just focused on the, the, the journalism and getting the story right and the information. But, you know, we're in television. You got to record it and edit it together, which means you got to do all this stuff at the same time. If you learn your gear and manage your time, it will make your day a million times better. And I think that's such an important point because the first job is to do the journalism, get the story right. And that's why the, uh, you know, the really getting good with your gear, a lot of times that is something you have to do on your own time by taking the camera home. And, and it's interesting, too, because I think for someone like you and, and I know for someone like me, it's almost easy to do that. My first job was in sports and when I started shooting highlights of football games, it became so much of a second nature thing for me just to want to capture the perfect highlight and to totally break it down and analyze what I needed to do as a photographer to get those shots. But it's not like that for everybody. And certainly plenty of people who want to be more traditional reporters, they don't necessarily take to the idea of having to learn all about white balance and the iris and everything that comes with the camera I would imagine your advice to those folks would be that ultimately, I know this is what my advice would be, I would imagine you would say something similar, that just ultimately you at least have to get enough of a knowledge of it to be able to still tell those stories visually well because those are the stories that are going to be on your resume tape or your reel. Mm -hmm. Those are the stories that are going to win you awards. Those are the stories that are going to get you noticed. You have to have the visual part in order to make a great television story. Yeah, otherwise you're doing radio. Yeah, and that doesn't pay at all. <laughs> Radio does. So yeah, it's it's. I you said it perfectly, dude. It's perfect. I can't even add to that. So I'm gonna shut up. Very good. <laughs> when you uh, when you go to these conferences and you speak, you obviously you you've, at this point you've heard from and met so many young MMJs. Give me. L l we'll do this in two parts. First, give me the one thing that maybe they have in common that they have not learned yet? What's the lesson that most young MMJs maybe think they know or are just don't, haven't quite discovered yet outside of time management that is kind of a common thread? Most young MMJs, and I'm sure you've seen this, are in survival mode. Like, Lord God, let me get through this day and have somehow edited a package that doesn't have a black hole in it. Mm -hmm. You know, if it's just, they're... It's a, it's a series of wide shots and medium shots and public information officers. The information is correct, but it is a – it's like reading a newspaper article with moving pictures. And it's just – if you've ever read a newspaper article out loud, you, you it's awful. It's awful sounds. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just – it's beautifully written, but it just sounds bad coming out of your mouth. And – that's the biggest thing is just that they're just in survival mode. Let me get through this day. And to that, I'm sure you would say, we all say, it's like, okay, you're, you're surviving now. All right, now today, focus on one thing. Add one thing to your toolbox this week. This week, I want you to focus on getting close-ups too. 
you've got your plenty of wide shots and every shot is a medium shot, but every now and then get in on just, just get those simple things of a super close up of whatever the story is. If it's about a dog, get a close up of his snout, his nose or his, his claws or his eyeball. Let the camera, let the eyeball fill up. Let's just get one thing. And then, you know what? Next week, let's focus on microphone placement. We're using a lavalier to, you know, you're pointing the camera there. Let's put the lavalier there so we really hear that that deep fryer. You're at the county fair. Poor MMJs in the small markets always have to cover the county fair for two weeks at a time. So take the lav and put it near the deep fryer, not in the deep fryer, and get that grease frying up. All right? Then put it next to the lamb, the the, the livestock, and put it this way. You hear the the. Nah. You know, I just did that, by the way. Um, that was not a lamb. Just, no, that was not a lamb. That right. was that was Joe Little sound effects man but just adding little things because right now the most things the bit the worst thing for the young mmjs and i see it every year everywhere i go college campuses hell there are mmjs in my station who still just are in survival mode and i tell them okay get comfortable survival mode now just add this you're not going to look like matt pearl in the first week it's going to take years to get to that level but in the next month, we can get you shooting sequences. You know, in the next month after that, we'll work on story arc and 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 some great reveals. You know, it, it just you'll add layers and layers, just like to a good story. You add layers and layers to your repertoire. But yeah, it, it it's not overnight. And the biggest thing is just survival mode for those young MMJs. Yeah, and and that I think has a way too of just completely removing one's personality because you don't get to show oh. it. When you're too busy Not, trying to get a story on the air. Yeah, they're done. They're just like, just, okay, did I spell this guy's name right? Doesn't matter. We're in television. Did I say everything correctly? Am I at least identifying the city? Yeah, that's great. All good stuff, you know, and that's still going to be important 20 years from now. But now we got to make the visuals match right. it. And that's, and, and again, you got to walk before you can run. You got to get all the information right and spell all the names right before you start shooting eight part stand ups. But, you can <laughs> you can take that first step every day yes. and you know eventually get to the point where you're running. All right, so now I'll ask uh, the flip of that question, Joe, which is you know, you obviously fly the flag for for solo video journalism as do I and and it's great to have allies like you out there, you know, people who I think again love to speak about this stuff and love to promote it as not just a you know, a runner-up position but a real great way to make a living in this business. What is the most inspiring thing or, or the the thing that gives you the most hope as far as the MMJs you see coming out of college and, and the young ones in the business? What, what gives you the most hope when you look at this group and the work that they do? I think with the, the technology, they, it's, it's part of their DNA coming out of school. When you were not, well, at least when I was in school, access to high-grade television cameras and the editing systems did not exist. That's such a good point. I didn't, t- I didn't touch tape-to-tape, and I did tape-to-tape, youngins, um, when I first started. I didn't touch a tape-to-tape editor until college, and even then it was SVHS. And then I did three-quarter-inch at Syracuse, and then my first job at Hagerstown was uh, – this new weird thing called DVC Pro. And I was like, yeah. tape to tape. These kids these days are coming in with iMovie on their phones. I mean, they're, I'm looking at these kids in these, in these middle school programs. They, the access to technology that we use on the pro level, it's in their schools. My son, who's when the second, third grade was editing movies for his Spanish class on iMovie and on iPad, I'm going, oh, hell. I'm going to be a dinosaur in 10 years. It's these young kids are it, the MMJ mentality is already there. Like I, I don't know about you, but I have to force myself to tweet mostly because I say, I hate saying the word tweet, but I have to sit there and go tweet. Okay. I have to type. Okay. Too many, too many damn letters. Damn it. Delete one word. Okay. I have to think for them. It's natural. It's natural for them. It's part of their growing up. If they stay in the program, they, they go to college and they do they all this technology is at their disposal where we didn't get it. I didn't get it at least until I was paid. And so I was literally learning on the job this gear. These guys is part of their DNA. So they 
almost already have this MMJ mentality of, especially getting the social media involved with the news, they just get a little more, they get the ethics training and the journalism training and they mix it in with the, the technology that's already part of their DNA from childhood. They're going to be, they're going to pass us by when they start introducing real tech, like more, whatever the next thing is, you know, I'm going to be that old guy going, what are you doing over there? Oh, that's a new thing, Joe. I'm like, well, geez, I'm going to be over here using my Geritol. It's just, they are blessed with technology as part of their DNA. I was in that little area where my first, I remember I set up my first Yahoo email account at Syracuse in 1999. These guys don't even use email. They're doing whatever they'll do or whatever. I just sound so old no no yeah i mean great great way to connect with the kids is by dropping those geritol references by the way (laughs) oh i hate you good stuff good stuff joe uh i always like to end with the famous reporter's question though is there anything that we haven't touched on that you wanted to add do not do not do not be a garden gnome. Ah, <laughs> talk about the garden gnome. Yeah. That, that's a, one of my. That's that's a Joe Little staple. It's in the book. Talk about uh, talk about garden uh, gnome. Just it's a traditional stand up. We all know what it is. You're standing there on someone's lawn or on a sidewalk with your stick mic, just standing there, and all hell is breaking loose behind you, or nothing's going on behind you, but you're certainly doing nothing at all as well. That's a garden gnome. It's a dude sitting in your lawn, standing in your lawn, doing nothing. That is my biggest pet peeve. No, one, the only one bigger than that is a garden gnome that walks to nowhere with a stick mic doing nothing. Those are my favorites. But just don't be a garden gnome. There's so many pointers that Matt has in this book that you can see online. It's different. Get inspiration to do things to maximize your time on camera. Look at this book, look at this textbook, this Bible of what we do, and get some tips on just making those those 10 to 15 seconds on camera, maximizing them for your viewers. It'll make your story better, it'll make your career better, and it'll just, it just feels better when you see something that good on television. <coughs> oh, you had it till that I'm cough not, at the end. You had it. You were doing so I well. I just I was I was gagging, man. I'm just choking on it right now. Oh my gosh, Joe Little, uh, great stuff. Thank you uh, again, just uh, Joe. Uh, for those of you listening, Joe was such a great resource uh, on the book. Great chapter. They're all great. Uh, but I, I really loved getting to spend some time with you, Joe, and and hang out and watch you do what you do. Thank you for that. Thank you for the quote on the back cover, and thank you so much for joining me on the Telling the Story podcast. It was a pleasure, Matt. You're a a genius at what you do. I want to be you when I grow up. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. And vice versa. The Telling the Story blog updates every Monday and Wednesday. The website is tellingthestoryblog.com. Rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Subscribe to the podcast on Stitcher Smart Radio. And check out my new book, The Solo Video Journalist. I'm so proud of it. It's got great Great advice in there from great MMJs like Joe Little. I think it should be a huge resource for young TV reporters and MMJs. Hope you check it out. As always, thank you for listening to this episode of the Telling the Story podcast. We'll see you next time.